It's up to Dave Johnson now to save the Orioles. He's got one hit in three times. A ball to him. Left three nothing going to the sixth. That's the Baron on deck. Mets scored twice in the sixth, once in the seventh, and two in the eighth. A strike, one and one. The Mets fans now over 57,000 roaring in every pitch. Gary Kuzman of Morse, Minnesota, outside with his breaking pitch, two and one. Beat the Orioles Sunday two to one. Leading right now five to three with two down. Simone on first. The two one pitch. There's a fly ball hit out to left. Waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champions. Gary Kuzman being mobbed. Look at this scene. Joining us now on Sports Talk, we've been looking forward to talking uh, to this man for a while since you found out his book came out again 50 years ago this summer. Hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, anybody who was in New York at the time uh, knows it well. It's called After the Miracle, the Lasting Brotherhood of the 1969 Mets. We're joined by one of the members of that team and, uh, of course, great sportscaster as well in New York after he uh, finished playing baseball on uh, Channel 5. And Art Shamsky joined us uh, tonight for a few minutes on the show. And, uh, Art, great to talk with you. How are you? Thanks, guys. It's great to be with you. I had a chance to, to read through the book again uh, when when you won that World Series. Uh, I was in third grade, and uh, back then they would wheel these uh, clunky black and white TV sets into the auditorium. We got to watch some of the games because uh, they were played in the early afternoon back then. So we saw the World Series in beautiful black and white. <laughs> well, you know, I'm starting to tell people I was 12 years old on that team, and if they, they believe it, so just go along with it. But, you know, it is 50 years. It's... Uh, you know, I'm still in New York because of it. Uh, you know, I played 13 years, and nobody ever talks about the other 12. It's really about that team that was so exciting and, and you know, kind of lives in forever here in the New York City area anyway. And it's just a very special year for all of us. And the book really is kind of a reflection of, of the camaraderie and the friendships and also about aging. It's about aging, and all of us are older. And it's about uh, all the things that really kind of happened to us because we're a part of that great team. Yeah, no doubt. I think we lost our co-host, but we'll try and get him back on. But, uh, yeah, it, the book is obviously, you recount the, the game by game of the 69 series. But uh, uh, the heart of the book is a, a reunion trip you had with, uh, of course, Buddy Harrelson, uh, Jerry Kuzman, and uh, Ron Sabota and yourself uh, going out to see uh, Tom Seaver in California. Uh, very poignant because we all know Tom, unfortunately, uh, the diagnosis coming out of, of uh, the dementia and also Buddy Harrelson suffering from it. So a uh, very poignant trip. Well, was, when we decided to do this, it was actually back in 2017. I, this is my second book. I wrote a book called The Magnificent Seasons about 1969. Uh, here in New York, the Jets won, we won, and then the Knicks won. It was right. a great year for, for sports here in New York, but it was just an awful time in the city and the country with the war in Vietnam and so many bad things happening. But this book, uh, when I sat down with Eric Sherman, who co-wrote it with me, we, we talked about doing something for his 50th anniversary and really wanted to make it different. There's been so many books written about that team, uh, about the organization. Um, we wanted to make it more of a, 
a fan-friendly kind of thing. It wasn't just about the games that happened. It's about all the relationships that developed from that team and, and uh, the camaraderie. And, and we decided to, to take a trip to California because we knew at the time, this was two years ago, that Tom was not traveling much anymore and that we decided to go out there and hopefully sit down with him and reminisce a little bit. And when we, we decided to, to go, uh, we could have picked any three guys besides myself and Eric to go out there because it was such a close team. But Buddy, of course, and Tom were roommates and friends from California, and, and Kuzman and Swoboda uh, were their own set of characters, and Swoboda <laughs> made the great in game four that, that helped Tom. And, and so it was, it was just a wonderful uh, time to go out there, but the problem was we didn't know if he was going to fill up to it to, to sit down with us, and we coordinated the trip, and we all met in San Francisco, and and Buddy went with us because of, of his physical situation. But but uh, when we got there, we still didn't know if Tom was going to have the, the wherewithal to sit down with us because he hadn't been feeling well. And when I talked to him, he said, listen, um, talk to my wife. She's keeping all the records for me. And she said to me, you know, uh, when you get out here, you know, Tom might have a bad day, a bad weekend. It might be a difficult time to see him. So we rolled the dice, and when we got there, we, we got there late on a Friday afternoon. I talked to her, and she said, it's really too late today. Let's hope for tomorrow. And when I called in the morning, I had my fingers crossed because we had to leave early on Sunday to come back. And she said, you know, uh, you got lucky today because he's feeling pretty good. So we went over and spent about eight or nine hours with him just sitting down and reminiscing about how great it was to be on that team and what it meant for all of us. And and uh, we, we went through it. Uh, he took us on a tour of his uh, vineyards. He has some wine country out there. Right. And, still, uh, yeah, and then we went out to lunch. And it was just a remarkable time. And all of us were just, we were transfixed for that period of time, just talking about what this team meant to all of us and the people in New York and fans all over the country. And now, 50 years later, uh, People are still talking about that team. It's one of the few teams 50 years later that you can celebrate and reminisce with the, you know, I always tell people it wasn't the greatest team in the World Series, but certainly one of the most memorable. And it's proven to me right. It's just a, a team that kind of lives on forever because the, the stories have been passed on from generation to generation. And kids who aren't even born know about that team from their parents and their grandparents. And I think that's <laughs> just the beauty of that whole thing of, of kind of making people feel better about their lives for a brief period of time, and they've passed that on from from uh, their kids to the grandkids to everybody, and so that's the beauty of it all. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, you mentioned uh, Tom Seaver and his wife, uh, Nancy. I remember, you know, the games that Tom would pitch. They would always uh, show Nancy in the stands. One of the great marriages, I guess, in, you know, in baseball and, or any kind of marriage. But they've been together over 50 years. So God bless uh, her for what she's ha having to do now. So it's great that he has yeah, her. It's a, tough, it's a tough situation, but they uh, were a wonderful couple and are a wonderful couple. And, uh, you know, I just hope Tom is, uh, you know, Whatever happens, he enjoys the rest of his life. Uh, he told us at the time he wasn't going to be traveling anymore. He wasn't going to be coming back to do any baseball things. Um, you know, who knows about this 50th anniversary the Mets are going to be doing in June. Right. I would, it would be wonderful if he came back, but I just don't know. And, and so it was just a great opportunity for us to share some moments with him and, and just uh, reminisce, like I said. it's uh, It was, uh, you know, we told some lies, of course. You know, those were months we had but in reality they barely made it over the fence but it didn't make any difference and, <laughs> you know, interesting guy. Uh, over the years I've had 150,000 people probably more tell me they were at the last game 
when we won the World Series against the <laughs> Orioles October 16, 1969, and I try to think back and remember Shea Stadium held about 53,000. Right, so yeah. <laughs> either, either they were there or not there, but they were there in their mind, so it doesn't make any difference. It was, uh, it does, it, it's just all all good things. If they if they feel like they were there, that's all that matters. You probably have a lot of uh, a lot of guys my age in their in their 50s that uh, when they were kids. I mean, I think it really resonated with kids because uh, I was too young to remember the Yankees winning it all. So the team that uh, I kind of started following baseball with was the Mets, and uh, and that was the year that they put it all together. So you, you probably got a lot of them that say they uh, either saw it in person or definitely on TV. No, it's, it's exactly true. I mean, it, we, we had three celebrations at Shea that year. We won the division. Remember, that was the first year of division. Right. Then we won the, the Braves, and then we won the World Series. So Shea Stadium took a, a beating that year, but it didn't make any difference. And there's <laughs> photos of people running onto the field and all of them. And, and uh, the, the crowd control wasn't too good at that time, but the reality of it is it doesn't make any difference. I, people now bring me, uh, when we're ever doing, we're doing some things, they bring these little patches of, of dirt that says it was, they tell me it's Shea Stadium, who knows if it's going <laughs> Just go along with it. I say, really? Yeah. And they, they ran on the field and, you know, it's, it's, it's just a wonderful experience to me to be, be able to talk to people like yourself who, who, who know about that team and, and still want to talk about things that happened that year. So for me, like I said, I played 13 years. The other 12, it doesn't make any difference. That's right. <laughs> well, those games are, uh, and I watched them again recently on YouTube. They have the original NBC broadcast, which I'm, I'm, I'm glad they have, uh, the complete broadcast. So you, you really get to relive it uh, as an adult as opposed to when you were a kid. Again, I saw it in black and white back then not, not all of it either we were in class for most of it until we saw the a few innings of it and then of course the the championship uh, a teacher came out we were waiting for our bus to go home and they said the Mets won and I think we celebrated on the bus like you did in this clubhouse so it was the same thing uh, <laughs> yeah and, and uh, you know even though and those games are all in, day, in, in the daytime so early too games. right yeah and to see it and, 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 and remember it and, and it was just a wonderful time it was uh, people say it was a more innocent time although the world was upside down the war in Vietnam was tearing sure. this country apart and there were so many bad things with assassinations and everything and I think that's one of the reasons that team resonates 15 years later because we made people feel better about their lives for a brief period of time they were able to latch on to us and say hey if the Mets can do it we can do it so we got we helped them get through some tough times and I always tell people, I said, if you as a, as a professional athlete uh, can help somebody get through a situation and, and, and feel better about their lives at a time, then you really accomplish something. There's nothing better that, that I could do that, that wouldn't, better than making somebody feel better about their lives. And so I'm always thankful of having been part of that because I think that's what resonates with it. And the other thing is that that team was so bad in the early years, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. They lost 120 games their first year in 1962. And, and I think uh, when we were known as the lovable losers, although I wasn't there at the time, I can't take credit for all those losses. <laughs> but, but I came over from the Cincinnati Reds in 68. But I think that the fact that we were so bad in those years and, and people kind of came to the ballpark expecting us to lose, hoping we would win, but expecting us to lose, and then to turn it around against the terrific Baltimore Orioles team that won 109 games in, in, the, in, uh, in this 1969. I mean, that, that's just been passed on from generation to generation, too. That was a great Baltimore team, and we got some breaks. There's no doubt about it. A lot of good things happened for us. Somebody was watching over us uh, above, and I think uh, 
it was just it was just, it was just our year. It was just a, an incredible year for all of us. Yeah, of course, you, you, you brought up the, the Ron Chipotle catch. Still, in my mind, the greatest uh, World Series catch, maybe the greatest catch of all time in, in any game. Of course, Tommy Agee, he made two unbelievable catches. Uh, I believe it was game three. I think he drove in, what, three or four runs or saved five runs, whatever he did. I mean, unbelievable game. Tommy Agee, very underrated, I think, as, as, a, as a player. Get a home run in the bottom of the first of that game. I was in right field when he made the, the one to right center. I used to kid him before he passed away way too young. You know, Tommy was a great guy. Right. I used to kid him all the time. Hey, Tommy, you know, you made an easy play look hard, and you've reaped the benefits all these years from making an easy play look hard. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the footage, that's my legs running by him telling me he has plenty of room. But he had an <laughs> unbelievable game at game three, and Ronnie made a great catch in game four. And I, I often get people asking me, would you have been able to make the play? And I, I always say no because I don't want to take anything away from that great play he made. And we, we, he, 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 Ronnie's a great guy, and he, he tells, tells people now, you know, some people had a career. I had a catch. That's right. And, that's <laughs> and you both wound up being doing sports in New York, too. So you, you both yeah. are sportscasters. Yeah, yeah it's a great line, and... Uh, uh, we we played, you know, we shared right field, and we always pulled for each other. You know, Gil platooned in four positions that year, and sometimes even behind the plate. So he got the most out of everybody, and, and that was a genius of Gil Hodges, being able to get everybody involved in the game, and knowing that player at the end of the bench that he was going to need him at some point during the season. And he uh, he was a real he was a catalyst, and the real reason we won the World Series that year because he was such a, a brilliant manager and a, and a terrific guy. I know there's been some talk again, and, and every once in a while it comes up about Gail should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I obviously didn't see him when he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but you look at his statistics as a player, then, of course, as a manager, uh, unfortunately, a short career because he passed away so young, but uh, I think he belongs in the Hall. I would imagine the, most of the Mets would agree with that, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure when he's up again. It's either the end of this year or 2020, and I had this brilliant idea of, sending a book, this book, after the miracle, to all the people that are going to be voting, um, just to let them know how idolized and how, how respected he was as a manager. I don't think too many managers, even winning managers, really respected as much as Gil, and I totally agree with you. He should be in the Hall of Fame for not only his baseball career, but, but being a manager on that team. And I do believe if he would have lived longer, he would have brought more championships uh, to the Met organization. Yeah, no doubt about it. After the miracle, the lasting brotherhood of the 69 Mets is the uh, title of the book. We've been talking with Art Shamsky. Also, uh, uh, Eric Sherman uh, contributed to the book as well. Art, uh, real pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. I know you're, you're, you're busy this year with the, with the travel, but uh, a lot of events coming up. And uh, if you do head back our way to Sarasota, uh, please uh, let me know. We'll definitely have you back on. But thanks for joining us today. Oh, great. Thanks. Terrific interview. Thank you. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies. Bring your wife. Where do they go? To meet the Mets! Oh, they're hollering, 
and cheering and they're jumping in their seats. Where do they go? To meet the Mets! All the fans are true to the orange and blue. So hurry up and come on down. Cause we got ourselves a ball club, the Mets of New York Town. Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America. <laughs>